0: Please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. Our passage this morning comes from Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12, and I'll be reading out of the New International Version. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? "'Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, "'and do not think you can say to yourselves, "'We have Abraham as our father. "'I tell you that out of these stones "'God can raise up children for Abraham. "'The axe is already at the root of the trees, "'and every tree that does not produce good fruit "'will be cut down and thrown into the fire. "'I baptize you with water for repentance, "'but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, "'whose sandals I am not fit to carry.' He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is God's word.
1: In this passage, coming to prepare the way to give the message. The message of John the Baptist is both a balm to our souls and an affront to our spirits. It offers a joy at the fulfillment of our greatest longings while offending our deepest sensibilities. It is both the hallelujah chorus and nails on a chalkboard. Because we, we really desire what John is speaking about but we eschew the pathway to get there. We embrace the words, the kingdom of God is near, and we are repulsed by the concepts of repentance and judgment that are spoken of in this passage. What is the message that tears us apart? calls us to it but seemingly pushes us away at the same time it's the gospel of jesus christ let's pray our father help us to put aside all of our preconceptions all of our, our judgment of others as we listen to the sermon may we not be thinking about others but we may we be thinking about what you would speak to us today Father, we do not want to live creating our own image of you. We want to worship and serve not our imaginations. We want to worship and serve the one true living God. Father, guide us, teach us about ourselves today, about you. Open our hearts through your spirit to hear what you would say each one of us, beginning with me. Amen. This morning, I really want to address three questions. First, what is John's message? Secondly, why does that message tear us apart? Why does it it beckon us and seem to push us away at the same time? And then thirdly, how does this message make us whole? So, what, what's the message of John? The first verse tells us John is out in the wilderness, and a lot of people are coming to him as he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand, it's right next to you. And that's what we love is that whole concept of the kingdom of heaven being available to every one of us. So so what is the kingdom of heaven? And people had a lot of different concepts of it. The the most prevalent during that day was that God himself would enter in and he would dispense with the Romans and allow the Jews, once again, to rise to supremacy, to have to put off the shackles of Rome, and to have the freedom to serve God and live life as it was meant to be. But the kingdom of heaven is much more. John the Baptist even begins to picture it a little bit. For any Jew reading this passage, some words would jump off the page. And, of course, Matthew is writing to Jewish people who understand the Old Testament. And so the first word, wilderness. John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness in the garb of the prophets who speak for God. And in their mind, they remember the wilderness is, is a barren place. It's a place of judgment. It's not like when we think of wilderness, we think of the northwest and the trees. This wilderness is a desert. Life does not grow there. Anyone, there's no water they, everyone thirsts. And you're alone because no communities want to build and grow in a desert. And for the Jews, their 40 years in the wilderness. Lifeless wilderness was a judgment of God. But the promised land laid ahead of them. The promise that of a wonderful land. Prosperous and full and fruitful. The only, once they reached the edge of that promised land, they needed to cross the Jordan River. And so John, out there in the wilderness, is baptizing in the Jordan River, giving the Jews the picture of now the real promised land that is being offered, the kingdom of heaven. But essentially what the kingdom of heaven is, is it is the rule of God. What would the world be like if God had his way, if God had his rule? And the Bible answers that in the first couple chapters of Genesis. It would be a paradise. For that's where God placed humanity. And it was our response to God, pushing God away, which changed our world and brought all the calamity that we live in. The kingdom of heaven is in some ways reversing the curse. God entering into humanity to bring our world in line with him and his rule and what it was always meant to be. Think of that. Eden, paradise for us, that that attracts us, that draws us. You know, we, we all know that we live in a broken world. Now some people might say, "Oh, <clears throat> pastor, your vision of of this <clears throat> paradise is pure fantasy, But our hearts tell us it's real, because who among us says life and death and disease and suffering is is where we were meant to live? I mean, we sing. All you need is love. And we look around us and all we see is selfishness bitterness and jealousy and greed. We say, we cry out, give peace a chance. There's no chance for peace because we're warmongers. We say, why can't we all get along? And yet we have nation after nation committing genocide. We know death really shouldn't be a part of us, suffering, evil all around us. We so understand that that we end up blaming God and say, well, God, why would you allow all this evil and suffering? Not realizing all the while God has a a kingdom of heaven for us that doesn't have those things. And it's we who have brought it upon ourselves. No, we know we, we don't belong here. And so when we hear about the kingdom of heaven, our hearts resonate with that. That is where we belong. And so John, it says here, is is come, he's not only announcing it, but 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah had predicted the steps in which this kingdom would come. 700 years earlier, Isaiah the prophet said, there is going to be a voice out in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. See, God knows what's happening. God's got in his plan. And so 700 years later, John the Baptist, this prophet in the wilderness is beckoning people, preparing the way for the Lord, the king. But who is this king? We find the answer in the word the lord now in greek the word lord is kurios and it translates two different old testament ideas one it translates the word adonai which means master the one who is coming is a lord he is a master he is the lord of lords the second word that kurios translates is yahweh the personal name of god Some call it Jehovah. We know better now. God's name is Yahweh. So the question is, is John the Baptist preparing the way for the Lord? Or is he preparing the way for God himself? Whereas the Greek doesn't help us understand the answer to that. The Hebrew does. For Isaiah, in Isaiah, it says, he prepares the way for Yahweh. This king is God himself. Matthew already said it earlier, call him Emmanuel, God with us. Of course it is going to take God to come and bring us into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven, and that is exactly who is coming. The question is, what do we think of Jesus? Do we put him in our box of of a good prophet just like everybody else? Or is he above everyone else, the one true God, who not only deserves our allegiance but our very worship? The kingdom is at hand. The king, God himself, is coming to bring it. And so that leaves us with the question. What happened? If the kingdom was so near, why aren't we experiencing it? And there's really two answers to that. The first is because we rejected it. Matthew, later in his book, as the, as the uh, arrest of Jesus gets closer and closer, Matthew says, shows us what Jesus says and feels. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You were not willing. In the book of Luke, on Palm Sunday, when the crowds are crying out the hallelujahs, they are actually praising Jesus as the coming Messiah. Jesus travels and as he overlooks Jerusalem... Luke says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it's now hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. They'll encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and your children within your walls. Jesus is crying as he says this. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We rejected the kingdom of God and it broke the heart of Jesus because he knew what that would where that would leave Israel and leave us. But for those who believe, God brings a transformation that begins the spirit of the the kingdom of heaven within us to help us to be the servants to to start to bring remnants of that kingdom into our world. He did it in the first century, whereas people were leaving babies that they didn't like out into the wilderness For the wolves to devour, it was the Christians who went out there and took them in as their own and loved them. While everyone was fleeing the cities because of plagues, leaving the sick behind to die, it was the Christians who went in and took care of them at the risk of their own lives. The kingdom of God was entering in through them. While everyone, every class of people, every ethnic group was at odds with one another, the Jew against the Gentiles, it was Christianity. It was the Christians who brought different people together as one. Slaves and free, Jew and Gentile, Greek and Roman, black and white. It was Christianity that entered into society to produce that. And so through us, the the kingdom of heaven begins enter that's that's our call that's our mission to be that kingdom presence in our world that's what we brandon's been preaching about then you might say but christianity has done such harm no it isn't christianity it is those who claim to be christian that have created incredible harm in this world that wasn't the entrance of the kingdom of god that was the twisting and perversion of christianity Martin Luther King, in his letter from the jail in Birmingham during the Civil Rights Movement, he, he he was saddened by the response of so many Christians, or at least Christendom within the churches. But he didn't say, oh, I guess Christianity doesn't work. No, he said, Christianity works. You need to become more Christian, not less Christian. We need to be more of the presence of the kingdom of heaven in this world. What a message John has for us. It should tug at our hearts. It should draw us because it's talking about a new life, a new heaven, a new earth that will eternally, eventually come for eternity. But we can be a piece of that now as we allow the kingdom of God into our lives. But there's a a second side to that message. That that is not sweet to the ears of our modern culture for includes the words repentance and judgment, God's wrath. Those are not words we like to associate with. Uh, When we hear the word repentance, we often get this picture of uh, this fire-breathing Hypocritical, loveless preacher using guilt to control and manipulate people. Repentance has a real dark meaning to it. In today's society that so values tolerance, saying we should just accept everybody exactly as we are. The word repentance, change direction, you've got to change. There's something wrong here that needs to be changed. It's not a word we, we like to embrace. And yet John is saying the way, the only pathway into the kingdom of heaven is through repentance. Why? Why do we struggle with repentance? What is repentance after all? We have all sorts of things of repenting is really, really really bad for our sins and beating ourselves up and living in you know, uh Heaping guilt upon ourselves, that's not what repentance is. True repentance will bring a sorrow for a sin, but that, that's not what it's about. Others other things, repentance is changing what we do. I do the bad sin, and now I'm not going to do the bad sins anymore. I'm going go to go do the good things. And repentance will have that kind of transformation, but that's not what true repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind and... A change of direction. See, all of us are headed in the wrong direction. We're all headed away from God. We develop our own value system, our own goals. Our, we make up our own purpose in life, and we follow our own path to get there. And John the Baptist is saying that—that's happening to all of you. You've got to change direction. You've got to go toward God. You've got to embrace his value, his goals, his purposes, his pathway. That's the way to the kingdom of God. Uh, Can we repent? Few of us really want to repent because we don't really believe we're headed in the wrong direction. If we did, we'd repent. But... Even though we know there's something broken in this world, we always think it's somebody else who's breaking it. It's the the warlords. It's the drug dealers. It's the politicians. It's the greedy Wall Street uh, men and women. Rarely do we say the problem, the brokenness of this world, is me." You know, The Matrix uh, begins to capture that in, in a conversation between uh, Morpheus and Neo. Morpheus, talking to Neo, says this, "You're here because you know something, And what you know, you can't explain, but you feel it. There's something wrong with this world." It's like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. The world has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And Neil says, what truth, Morpheus, that you are a slave, Neil? Like everyone else, you were born into bondage. Now, the bondage in Matrix was a computer matrix. But the Bible says the same thing. We are born slaves to sin. We know there's something wrong with this world, but it's everybody else. The the world has pulled the truth from our eyes. That we respond to the sin nature that drives us. We need to change directions and repent. But it's so hard because we live in denial. There was a study back in in 1989. One million SAT students, when they were taking their SAT exams, were asked a number of questions. Are you you below average, average, or above average? You know, what percentile would you put yourself in? And here's some of the results. When you ask them, where do you stand as an athlete? Sixty percent said they were above average. Six percent said they were below average. As far as their leadership goes, 70% said they were above average leaders, 2% said they were below average. Now the question asked, do you get along with people better than most people or or, or not as well? Out of 829,000 respondents, not one person put themselves as below average, not even by mistake. 60% said they were in the top percent of people getting along. 25% of students said they were in the top 1% of getting along with one another. At least half of us are deluded. (laughs) In fact, all of us are deluded. We, We don't hear the words of repentance because we've deluded ourselves about ourselves. John is not deluded. He says... Take the matrix away, face the truth about yourself, and repent. And I'm beginning to see some little vestiges in our society of waking up to truth. There's uh, actually a little commentary in a recent Sports Illustrated article was looking at uh, Lance Armstrong. And he himself was torn about Lance Armstrong because he looked at all the testimony that's coming out, not only the cheating, but what Lance Armstrong did to destroy the lives of those people who were telling the truth. He saw the evil in Lance Armstrong, but on the other hand, his brother survived cancer in part because of all the work that Lance Armstrong has done on behalf of cancer victims. And so he was talking about Lance Armstrong's being an Oprah and how they seem to say, is he a jerk or is he a humanitarian? And the conclusion, the article says, is this. He can be both at the same time. Everyone can. You see, there is a humanitarian side to us because we are made in the image of God. But... There is a jerk side because sin permeates our lives. That's why we feel even uneasy in ourselves. And we ask the question, who am I? Am I the humanitarian or the jerk? The answer is both. But God calls us to be that humanitarian, that kingdom of heaven, man and woman. Kelly Clarkson is picking up on it too in her song, The Dark Side. She sings this. There's a place that I know, it's not pretty there. Few have ever gone. If I show it to you, will it make you run away? Everybody's got a dark side. Everybody's got a dark side. The problem is, even in her solution, she says, will you love my dark side? Are we to love our dark side? Another comment on the YouTube site where the song is. It says this, Just because I have a dark side doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means I'm human. Yes, you're human. But do do we love our dark side? Do we live with our dark side? Or do we hear the beck and call of John the Baptist? Repent. Change the direction. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a second word that we don't like in this passage. Wrath. The wrath of God is coming. He says to the, to the religious leaders, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you not know, think, you can say to yourselves, we're Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. We see two things in this. In addition to the judgment, it's the call to the Sadducees and Pharisees to repent. You know who the Sadducees and Pharisees are? They're us. And they're the liberal church down the street. You see, the Sadducees were the anti-supernaturalists. They were liberals. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the real supernatural. They didn't believe in a judgment to come. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't really believe the Bible. They just followed its commands. The Pharisees, they believed every word literally of the Bible, and they'll interpret it to you right down to the, the tiniest speck and tell you how you should live your lives, how God wants you to live your lives. Because they treasured this word. They wanted this word in them. They knew it backwards and forwards. They did everything in this word. They're the conservatives, like us. And John says, you brood of vipers you got to repent. Why? Because for them, the spiritual life was really the, the acts of obeying God, the acts of worship were really like ornaments on a Christmas tree. They put them on their lives to make themselves look beautiful. But notice what John says here. He says, bear fruit. Of repentance he isn't just saying oh uh, Sadducees and Pharisees uh, start following God more closely they're doing that they got a lot more of these in their lives than we have but he's saying no you the way you bear fruit is fruit comes from a tree it grows and flows from that tree and what he's saying is if you're gonna bear fruit from repentance you need an inner transformation that fruit becomes who you are, an expression of who you are. And, of course, John points to how that can happen. But he says, for now, you're under the wrath of God. We, we welcome the love of God. We fixate on the love of God, and, and that's great. We, we should. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. It's beyond our comprehension. Paul prays that we would start to comprehend it greater that we'll never will live there because God is love. He's love, but he's also just in his wrath, and, and we, we, we we react to that word. You know, we'd like to take an eraser and erase that word out of here, but if God is love. He has to be angry about sin. Because if you're not angry about what sin does to, to, to the ones in your life, you don't love them. Who is not outraged at the drug dealer that's supplying their son? Who does not respond to one who abuses his daughter? Who does not react when a friend is is robbed by a thief or his spouse is defamed by others? We become angry because we love them so much and hate to see what has been done to them. God's love is no less than ours. It's greater than ours. And so one would anticipate his anger at what sin is doing to each other and the sin itself which causes it is greater than ours. Another thing we need to understand about the judgment of God is it is just. And it seems we really want justice in this world just not for ourselves. I mean, many of us who felt O.J. Simpson got away with murder, we were outraged. Or when Casey Anthony walked after it seemed very clear that she had killed her daughter, and if she had, violent rage came across our society. And what about the judge who slaps the wrist of a girl who was raped? Don't we want him impeached? We want justice. One of the first things we learned to tell our kids is life isn't fair. Get over it. But we know inside it is unfair. We shouldn't have to get over it. And that's what God is saying. God is just. If we want our judges to be just, how much more so the Lord of heaven and earth do we need him to be just? Just. And then think of what God's offering, the kingdom of heaven. What if God came down and he took everybody in the world and transplanted us into the kingdom of heaven, put us in the Garden of Eden? What would happen? We would make it the world we now live in. We've already done it once. So who's God going to usher into the kingdom of of heaven, those who are transformed because they have repented and turned and received the Spirit of God to work in their lives. And those who resist that transformation, those who say, I'm going to continue to live as I live, God is not inviting into that kingdom of heaven. He's invited them, but they reject it. They don't enter because this is a paradise. We don't like the word judgment and justice. But we really want a God who is just, who is so loving, he's angry at sin, who so desires a pure, perfect world for all of us with no suffering, pain, and sin, that that's what he's going to have. John's message is so attractive, so compelling. The pathway to it, repentance and judgment, we need to embrace because it's exactly that. It's God's pathway. And we see it in John the Baptist again, the picture. He's baptizing people in water. It's speaking of a cleansing from sin that we all need the forgiveness of sin, the cleansing. But there's something interesting, even though washing and immersions had been around for many, many years. In fact, the Jews, when they went into the temple, they all had to wash their hands before they went into the temple. That's why the labor of water was there to picture their purification of sin. A Gentile, he had to be immersed completely, completely clean before he entered into the temple. And if you were a Gentile and you wanted to convert to to Judaism, you had to be immersed in water, completely cleansed. It was around for a long time, but there was something very different and unique about John's cleansing. You see, in all the previous cleansings, you did it yourself. You immersed yourself. John says, I must baptize you. It is somebody else who is bringing you into the water of cleansing. And John says in this passage, ultimately, I'm really not the one. I'm the one pointing to the one. I'm giving you a picture of this, but the one who is coming, he is going to bring the real baptism, the real cleansing. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. You see, we can't cleanse ourselves. We often think that. It's, I'll make up for that sin. God, I know I, I really I messed up there. I, I'm sorry for that. And I'll beat myself up for a long time to pay for that sin. Or, or I'll, I'll start living a new life and do good things and good deeds that will maybe cover up the sin. We can't cleanse ourselves. The cleansing is going to come from Jesus Christ. We can be made whole by the cleansing, the washing of our sins, and the transformation of who we are. John says it, you'll be baptized with the Spirit of God. When you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, a transformation happens. John says you're born again by the Spirit of God. Paul says, you're a new creature in Christ. John says, if you walk in that spirit, you'll bear the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That will be your life. Coming to Christ is not simply a decision that now I'm going to change my life. It's a decision that I can, I can leave my old life behind and allow the Spirit of God to come in and do His work. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, are you trying to walk in your strength simply by your choices? Or are you so connected to Jesus Christ and His Spirit that you bear fruit That there is an inner transformation. And realize this. We don't water the fruit. We water the plant. The Christian life is not about watering the fruit in our lives and let's do this and let's do that and let's be kind and let's be good. That is fruit that comes from watering the plant, from watering the relationship we have through Jesus Christ with God the Father, by taking his word, not just reading through it, but as the very voice of God speaking to us, using prayer not as an expression of a new Santa Claus list to God, but of our voice cry, speaking our hearts to God and being in communion with him, of being together with other Christians who will help us to get closer to God himself not just teach us Bible lessons. We water the plant because that's what's producing the fruit. How does this all come about? Well, God is just. His loving, His love says there is a wrath against sin that has to be poured out. And here in the passage, he's warning the Sadducees and the Pharisees that wrath is about to be poured out on you if you don't go through the waters of baptism because that pictures the work of what Jesus Christ will do in your life. Because Christ allowed the wrath of God, the wrath of God against all sin to fall upon him. That's what communion is about today. So God can be loving, just, angry at sin, and still accept us in grace. Because the penalty that was due us, the wrath that was due us for our sin, and all the harm we've done to ourselves, to God's glory, and to one another, has been taken and placed on Jesus Christ. Christ went through the ultimate wilderness on the cross, the aloneness the lifelessness, the thirst, the separation from God on the basis of his judgment on sin. Christ went through that for us so that we could be made whole. Kelly Clarkson's song, The Dark Side, she says this, everybody's got a dark side. Do you love me? Can you love mine? Nobody's a picture perfect, but you're worth it. You you know that you're worth it. Will you love me? God doesn't love our dark side. But he loves us who have dark sides. Kelly Clarkson's song is a plea. others that if you knew everything about me if you knew every evil thought intention everything I've done in the closet of my life would you love me there's only one who really truly says yes Jesus said you come to me with your dark side and I nail it to the cross because I love you Our Father, what can we say more than your word says? Your word is truth. Sanctify us, O Lord, in that truth.